Let's begin by all joining together in praying. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. Right now, connecting with people has gotten faster and easier than any other time throughout human history. Think about how long it takes you to connect with somebody. Maybe 10 seconds, right? So you pull out your phone and you can do it through texting. You can do it through video calling. You can do it through an app. I mean, if you've got somebody's contact info, all it takes is for you to pull it up, click on two things, and before you know it, you're connecting. You're communicating with them. You know what's crazier? For most people, even if they're anywhere throughout our world, they're less than 10 seconds away of getting connected to them. Connections. Communication has never been easier than it is right now. But even though all that's true, people have been finding out something stunning about the time that we live in. Right now, with connection as easy and communication as fast as it's been, many people are lonely. People are feeling more disconnected than they ever have before. Maybe it looks like this. When asked about friendships, a lot of people are ready to admit that yeah, they've got a group of people that they kind of know and can kind of do this with on the top. Or maybe they've got a long list of contacts in their phone or lots of people on their social media. But when asked how many close friends they have, do you know what most people answer? Zero. Zero people that they would trust if their life is going through just awful things and they've got a difficult problem. Zero people they would go to for advice if there's a big life decision that's going to change their life. Zero people that they would trust and consider close friends that they could say anything with. All the connection in the world and how many close friends do most people have? Zero. And it makes sense because of that right now in this world Many people just feel so alone. We find ourselves in this hyper, easy connection world and a world that's plagued by loneliness. So the question that we need to answer is what do we want our church to look like with that as the backdrop of the time that we live in and the culture that we find ourselves surrounded by. Who are we going to be? What are we going to do as a church? These are also the questions that are going to drive this new worship and sermon series, Live Life Together. And thank God that for the next four weeks, today and three weeks after this, we're going to dig into God's word. We're going to go there and we're going to find some answers about who we are and what we should do. Today we get to go back to this first group of Christians 
a unique group of believers that had to answer these questions for themselves. Yeah, their setting was absolutely unique. Their culture was different too. Do you remember not long before this, Jesus had ascended back into heaven. He had given this small group of believers their mission and they accepted it and they did what God had called them to do. They went to Jerusalem. They waited for the gift of the Holy Spirit and then the day of Pentecost came where people from all around the world were gathered together and the disciples had these little tongues of fire on their heads and everybody heard them talking about Jesus in their own language from wherever that they came from. They listened to the Apostle Peter tell everybody that it was all about Jesus, that Jesus lived and died and rose for them, that God wants all people to be saved. And on that one day, the number of people in the church, well, it multiplied from about 120, this small group of believers, to on the day of Pentecost, to 3,120 people. So with that was going to come this massive opportunity. What do we do? Who are we? What do we want our church to look like? What are we going to do with the opportunity to connect to people when we go back to our homes all over the place? How do we want to communicate with people? I think there's something interesting that happens whenever we find ourselves with this opportunity of connecting with people and especially in massive groups, big crowds of people. Uh, for me, I think if you want to call it this, we called it people watching. For me, it happened most at the, the state fair in Wisconsin. It was this thing that you could do where you'd sit there and you'd watch massive crowds of people come by and you'd see the things that made people the same, the same foods that they ate, the same mannerisms that they had, the same clothes that they wore. You'd also see right away the differences between people too, what made that person different from this person over here. And before you knew it, you'd sit there and you'd do people watching and for hours, you'd look and you'd do absolutely nothing. Today though, I think people watching is even more popular I think there's just different names for it today and it happens more on the right, on your phone. Maybe it's called Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. You look at your phone and you scroll and you see stranger after stranger after stranger and your eyes dart from one thing to the next and you just keep zipping through and they're designed so that you keep zipping through these things. At best, you've subscribed to a couple people so that there's a little bit of familiarity going on. But really, all you're doing is seeing random faces, crowds of people again and again and again. Whether it happens in person, face to face, among strangers that we live with, or it happens on your phone, this is the culture. This is the context that we live in. This is the kind of relationship that is easy. So with so much opportunity to connect with people all over the place, shallow and superficial relationships are too often what we fall into. And because that's what our world and our society is all about, it 
leads into areas of life that we don't want it in. Shallow relationships become the standard for what relationships are, and anything else starts to feel just like too much. Our time and our culture has shaped us to stay away from each other when a real relationship with someone might mean being with someone who's struggling. It leads us away from messy people and messy situations. It saps us of the desire and the energy to care for somebody that we don't know yet, that we haven't lived life with, with yet. It makes us think that the differences among us are too big to overcome. It makes us put on a face that, yeah, everything's okay. And then we go and talk behind someone's back and say bad things about people. And even in our close relationships, our marriages, our families, laziness can become the default. Yeah, shallow relationships are all too easy to fall into in our lives and in our church. So what did this group from Pentecost do? Who were they going to be? What were they going to do? Where were they going to go to give their relationships some depth? God lays it out perfectly clear for us in Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four things became everything for these people. This is where they put their time and their effort. This was their vision of what their church was going to look like. And these people were all in on this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. These little details help us understand just how deep these relationships started to go. Time, money, effort, care, they gave all of it, right? They didn't hold back. Day after day, they focused on relationship building with each other. And it was so good that we get this little detail that even people who are outside of the church recognize just how good it is when that's what people are about, when that's the kind of culture that a church has. And here's what drove them to do that, to be those kind of people. It was the Lord. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, God designed them for deep and real relationships with each other. But their relationship with him had to come first. Everything else was going to follow after that. And your relationship with God happens only through the gospel. For that group, as it grew bigger and bigger, this was the same thing that God had done when he started out with his 12 disciples 
it was the same thing that happened as it grew up into the 72, as it grew up into the 120 after that, all the way up until this point, into more than 3,000. It was first every believer's connection with him. God was working on a deep and real relationship with them, one-on-one, so that each individual person would know that he loved them. He cared about them more than anything else. He was going to pay attention to them. He knew them individually and personally. He gave them everything they exactly needed in Jesus, and he forgave them for all the shallow relationships that they had fallen into in Christ so that first they could live life together with him. I think a lot of people would call it and describe it as a gift, but really I think most people would describe it as just who he was. If you had the chance to have a conversation with him, it was like the rest of the world just melted away. He gave you his undivided attention, and as you're chatting with him, nothing was going to distract him. Nothing pulled him away. He listened so well and so clearly, and his absolute undivided attention was great. Do you know who am I? Who, who I'm talking about? Uh, hopefully, you do. If you don't, it's Mr. Rogers. The way that people described him. It's the way that people who actually got to interact with him said, This is how he really is. This is not a character. This is who he is. This is what he does. Undivided attention. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how much time he's going to chat with you, you're all his for all time. He wanted you to know that you. Yes, you meant the world to him, and he was going to show it. Do you think that kind of attention and focus had an effect on people? Do you think it might shape how you pay attention to somebody else after that interaction? What do you think your next uh, conversation with someone other than Mr. Rogers would have looked like? How would it have sounded? What would you have done after that, you see, unconditional attention and care in a relationship has a way of shaping you unlike anything else can. And here's the cool thing. You have a God who loves you more than Mr. Rogers does. Your God has invited you into a real and deep relationship with him through the forgiveness that he's brought to you in Christ He deepens that relationship every time you open up his word or call out to him in prayer. He shows you his never-changing love by numbering you among his people, his family, no matter what mistakes you make. He saved you in Jesus, and he will keep you connected with him forever in heaven. That is a deal, a real and deep relationship. And that's where all of this starts is with him. But that real and deep relationship with God absolutely has an effect on the here and the now between us. Being filled up with God's love and attention so much, 
it starts to turn your attention outward so you can start caring for other people too. So you can start being who God designed you to be. Yeah, you've been set free for deep and real relationship with the people in your lives. You are free to live life together with each other in Jesus. You and I get to live life together not as an accident, not as some buzzwords that are just on a website that we say but don't do. No, this is who you are as Christians. You live life together. Practically, what does that mean? You work on relationships. All of them. You put in the work. You start by taking the first step and introducing yourself. Even when it's a little bit awkward, you invite people over for dinner. The messiness that you find out that all people have, you start seeing as an opportunity to help and you support. And this kind of life isn't the checkbox sort of thing that you put in your time and then you're done with it. No, this is work and you put in the work and you do the work because real relationships need the work to happen. And you get to be real too. You can share doubts and struggles that you have in your life. You can ask for help and prayers for other people for your challenges. You can admit things and not be ashamed. To live life together is to be all in on more than just a surface level connection. And one more thing just today where we're going to start about what this looks like. You're going to do what these Christians did. Again, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the good news of Jesus, what they had witnessed, to fellowship, to coming together and being together and taking time together, to the breaking of bread, to the gift of the Lord's Supper, to the sacraments, the ways that God connects us to Jesus, and to prayer. Let this good news of Jesus be our focus as we come together. Look to other people who are here and work on your relationship with them. Take every opportunity you have to be fed through God's supper and pray. Like, for real. Ask people what you can pray for them and then say, I'm praying for you. And make I'm praying for you not this thing that are just empty words that go out there, but actually do it. Right there and then. Pray for them. Continue to pray for them throughout the week too. Live life together in the kind of way that God calls you to live. More than once uh, last week, almost two weeks ago now, I found myself not lonely, but overwhelmed by people. I got to go to Chicago and be part of this Lutheran leadership conference which brought people from all across our synod to one place and in one room there was about 1,300 of us. And when 1,300 Christians gather together and sing, well, that hits you right here. I also got to see friends that I had known for maybe eight or four or ten years of life and I got to see them face to face again and show pictures of our kids and hear how they're doing too. I got to eat one of my favorite foods as I gathered together with other friends 
that I had traveled across the world with. We got to watch as our new niece was baptized. We got to celebrate Nora's birthday. We got to be with both sides, almost everybody in our family. A few days with people just left me absolutely encouraged. Brothers and sisters, never underestimate the impact you have working to live life together with the people that God brings into your lives every day too. Amen?